It just felt like the people in charge, Virginia Mosley and Amy Intellis largely, uh, and, and Dave Levy and, and, you know, uh, operationally, were letting the team do their jobs. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, June 19th. Today on Media Monday, John Kelly and I talk about whether CNN has already changed the tenor of its coverage following the ouster of Chris Licht, especially in the wake of Donald Trump's federal indictment. And we ask whether Insider can become a next-gen Wall Street Journal, or if it's more of a next-gen Yahoo News. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be. netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Juneteenth. It's a federal holiday. Fun fact, Juneteenth is the 11th federal holiday since MLK Day was designated in 1983. Uh, Thank you, Joe Biden. I'm joined today, obviously, on Monday by John Kelly, the boss man, to talk media. It is Media Monday, after all. John, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. Good to see you. You too, you too. Um, Hey, CNN. Uh, we, you know, we don't really have uh, uh, some <laughs> Dylan scoopage to talk about here, but a huge news event happened last week. Really, I think for the first time since now ousted CEO Chris Licht has been gone from the network. And that was the federal indictment on 37 charges <laughs> of Donald Trump uh, for basically mishandling classified documents, documents that included nuclear information, information about classified surveillance programs, etc. And you said something interesting before jumping on the pod, which is you felt like the tone, tenor, and substance of the coverage of this indictment and and his arrival at, at the courthouse in Miami was somewhat different than what you would have seen few months ago under Chris Licht. Obviously, he was indicted in the Licht era uh, in Manhattan by Alvin Bragg. But what what did you notice that was different? Well, you know, it's funny. I I was in Washington last week. And so I, just as one does, I I felt like more proximate to the twin crises scandals of of the Trump laundry list indictment and also the early post-Licht era. And Frankly, I just had CNN on more than usual, sitting in hotel rooms and going to meetings where, you know, 
Washington is basically one big like equinox or airport where pretty much any any office you go to on K Street, there's going to be CNN and MSNBC and Fox News playing in the background. And it was just so much better. I'm not a TV producer and I'm, I'm unqualified in the, in the dark arts of a lot of programming. But boy, oh boy, wasn't it just so unbelievably obvious how much more human the coverage was, uh, in particular on the day that he appeared in court and then went to the Cuban restaurant and just the way that Abby Phillips and Caitlin Collins could talk about this without having to do this kind of bogus both sidesism and mm. preening attacks on you know overrepresentation of of attacks on leftist prosecution like it just felt like the people in charge Virginia Mosley and Amy Intellis largely uh, and, and Dave Levy and you know operationally were letting the team do their jobs and this was. Uh, the best representation of Zucker era CNN, where people could call it like they see it, they could they could be humans, and they weren't programming for one. And it's so clear in retrospect how much better. I really I've watched more CNN in the last week than I have you know probably in the last year and a half, just because of the extreme weather and and, and the Trump circus. Mm-hmm. It is just so much better because I, I think that by the end of the day, Zaz, Malone, our boy Dylan, they all got in Lick's head and he got in his producer's heads and no one can make the shows. And now people are able to rely on their instincts again and the TV is so much better. And if I could posit one thing, honestly, I can't get inside Zaz's head, but I have to assume that there is a recognition now of just how much these people accomplished under Jeff in the previous administration, so to speak. I, I think that Licht is sort of an addition by subtraction situation. And I'm not trying to pick on the guy, but I think I think it, it's evident in the work product. And I have to assume that there is like some real take it to heart learning happening at Park Avenue South, where WBD is located in New York and in LA, that they really thought they knew better than pros who are at the top of the game in their industry. And they didn't. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that they're going to fuck with them anymore right now. Mm-hmm. And this is a hypothesis, but I think that the sort of Malonian theory of move it back to the middle, Ted Turnerization, blah, blah, blah. I think it's going to be replaced by let CNN be CNN. In their first full week, they scored with flying colors. Yeah, I mean, my most hopeful take on the move CNN back to the quote unquote middle, whether that exists or not, wasn't that it would be both sides. It was just that they would turn the volume down on every day as a national emergency, right? Uh, which right. was which was not true in in the Trump years. It just wasn't. I don't watch a ton of cable anymore, but I was watching Jake's show. Uh, I think right after Trump sort of slipped in and out of the Miami courthouse, and some heavily makeup Trump person came out <laughs> and read some insane statement, and and they threw back to <laughs> Dana and and Jake, and they were both like. That was fucking absurd. Like that was just like offensive, full of lies, et cetera, et cetera. I think Dana and and Jake are are two reporters who have really threaded the needle throughout the entire Zucker into Licht era where they've just stuck to their reporting instincts and are willing to call balls and strikes. And I think they probably would have said the same thing in that moment under Chris, but they certainly felt unencumbered to speak speak that truth right when that moment happened. That was really the only moment I saw. Well, you know, people forget to, to Tapper obviously is a sanctimonious guy, but he was unbelievably 
hard on Obama during those years too. I mean, he's 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 a he's a critic and he's bipartisan, tough. And I think you're right that that those two in particular were sort of immune to some of the worst lictisms. But boy, oh boy, when I think back on that on those 13 months, so much of the programming was like these hostage videos where you would just see these anchors talking slowly, <laughs> trying to represent the point of view, well, hey, maybe this absurd thing that, that Ron DeSantis just said or that Trump said has some validity and, 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 here's, a, and here's an opportunistic lawyer who's going to defend it. Like, nobody wants that. You know, the, the, the two, like, uh, North Star arcs of media are be smarter than everyone else, right? Like, uh-huh. like, just don't be stupid and be more authentic. And when you look at new media art forms that work, like, podcasting to one and what's called newsletter, but which is basically, you know, writing for audiences that care the most rather than just glide through and three second view something. What is successful is essentially to this notion that you can get at the heart of the host or anchor or writer or whatever. You can you can get to what they really believe and mean. And it's thoughtful and it's more interesting and intelligent than what's out there. And for 13 months, they just didn't do that. They, they just did this forced march of both sides. And that was so inauthentic that I'm sure even, you know, when, when the dust settles and Chris Lick goes back to, you know, whatever mm-hmm. he, he ends up doing, you know, and, and he'll he'll have a career. He'll he'll produce television. And you know, I can sort of already close my eyes and picture the like Jacob Bernstein, you know, story in the Sunday styles with, with a, a half grinning licked in a black and white photo saying, oh, he's back or something. But anyway, when we get there, he'll say, yeah, I realized that even I wasn't making good television. That I, I was totally snookered by my various obligations. And you just see the enormous post-grief release in CNN's coverage. And this, by the way, the Trump thing, like, this was a gift. This indictment is an extraordinary gift to them. It, it allows them to turn the page. And it's exactly the sort of, like, journalistic erogenous zone that uh, that they thrive in. <laughs> I like that phrasing. Uh, yeah, and, and also another positive note for CNN they had Chris Christie uh, do one of their now patented oh, yeah. town halls the other <laughs> night. And I mean, Republicans don't like Chris Christie at this point. I mean, Chris Christie's basically, you know, people who like him are either Democrats or never Trump people. So perfect for CNN, but 1.35 million total viewers yeah. tuned in uh, to watch that, yeah, which is pretty good uh, for CNN. So uh, one quick thought experiment before we go to break, I want to hmm. ask you after the break about business insider slash insider, whatever it's called, changing their strategy. But if Donald Trump's team came to CNN now, like post Chris Licht, they have to say yes to doing a town hall, right? I mean, like, oh, of course they do, and they they had to. That say wasn't yes the like first totally time. a mistake. No, no. What was a mistake was that they packed the audience with friendlies. It was a mistake. I hate to say it. Don't at me. It was a mistake to have Caitlyn Collins do it. You have to earn your stripes with these things, and they could have had Dana Bash or Tapper or Anderson do it, and it would have been better. It was probably a mistake to do a live, although not a huge mistake. And it was a mistake, and this is the the ultimate, ultimate mistake. It was a mistake for them to breathlessly front run this and make it seem like, the, you know, th- this was a, an amendment to the Declaration of Independence. You know, they, they, they treated it like they were sort of reinv- reinventing the wheel here, which was uh, Lichtian PR at its worst. So, um, of course, they would do it. And by the way, these topics came up again and again at the dinner I co-hosted at the Meridian House with BP last week. As we all deal with the platform switch in our economy, and we all move towards a more authentic future. All right, John, quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you about Insider.
Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The ChiliPad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. ChiliPad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com. Dot M-E slash powers, because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right. I found that on Etsy. It's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Welcome back to the powers that be, everybody. It's Media Monday. John Max Tanny at Semaphore, who's their media reporter, uh, tweeted late last week a memo that was sent out by insider editor-in-chief Nick Carlson to the newsroom, which is going through the throes of a strike over healthcare benefits. Insider feels like it changes strategies quite frequently. Um, but I wanted to ask you about this because reading this memo, I was thinking about Ben Smith's book, Traffic. And it kind mm -hmm. of feels like, even though Insider is 
subscription-based or hybrid subscription-based at this point, like that they are still one of these like click-chasing enterprises that doesn't get lumped in to the sort of BuzzFeed Huffington Post conversation. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but he talks about how they need to sort of make a big pivot moving forward. And he says, I don't want to bullshit you right now about where we are. Traffic is down. Subs are down. Video views are down. This was true and has been true for months. And I'm not talking about the impact of a strike. I'm talking about changing reading and watching environment. And then he goes on and (laughs) shits on Facebook, Snapchat, where I work. He says, people aren't hanging on Trump's word anymore. And there's no more pandemic to demand. You read the news every day. Giant forces beyond our control have formed a perfect storm to sink us. (laughs) And we are in for a fight to earn our audience and earn our existence into the future. And then he goes on to say, after a few years of drift... We are returning to our core focus. Insider is a business, economy, and tech-first publication built for people who are fascinated with those topics. He also says we're working on becoming the next-gen Wall Street Journal. Put another way, this is an admission uh, that they've just been chasing clickbait <laughs> for a very long time and you know, writing articles about like Dave Portnoy's sex life and whatnot. <laughs> what do you make of this? Is he blaming these giant forces outside of their control for things that are actually in their control or what's going on? Boy, I have a lot of thoughts here and let me move through them through them quickly. I, I think that your, your analysis is, is totally on the money. Nick Carlson, good guy, friendly with him, smart guy, very business-minded, global editor-in-chief. He, he's, he's Henry's guy. You know, Henry created this company. Mm-hmm. Nick was, uh, I think Peter Kafka was like employee two, did well in the exit. Uh, Nick was Nick was early Congrats, in Peter. there. We like Peter Kafka. <laughs> yeah. Other Peter. We love, love him. Love him. Other um, Peter. In Nick's Nick's career through BI traces the arc of BI. He he was he spent his early years. He, I think he's literally only worked there. He's he's a, around our age, maybe a, maybe a wee wee bit younger. Was a listicle writer. Was a you know was one of those guys on the traffic hamster wheel. His career really changed when he wrote a bunch of long stories, uh, incredibly sort of single sentencey but incredibly well reported story on Marissa Mayer. Completely mm-hmm. reversed the narrative on her. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone thought she was this this Google genius, and it turns out that she. He was very smart person, right person at the right time, brilliant engineer, terrible manager, horrible CEO. Um, and Nick ended up turning that into a book. I en- ended up working with Nick on the New York Times Magazine adaptation of that when Marissa Meyer tried to be Steve Jobs. Look it up, one of the most read New York Times stories of its era. And mm. Nick, really, really smart guy, but he approached being an editor like a business person. I think his comp is also based on revenue. I bring all this up to say that I think they do a lot of really interesting modern things there. And it was by far the most well-run of the Web 2.0 giants. And by far, Henry gotcha. was the smartest CEO who sold at the right time. They sold to Axel at the beginning of their media accumulation period. You know, I think the story is that Matthias Doffer tried to buy the FT. It traded before he could get his hands on it, and they quickly bought BI. They'd already had a meaningful investment in it, but it traded for you know a little bit less than $500 million. And they've run it really well and, and, and really, really profitably. And that's the positive case for, for mm-hmm. Nick, for, for Henry Blodgett, for BI, for Mateus, for Jan Bayer, who's the, the co-CEO and a great guy, and, and all that. The downside of this is that with all the money that they had, they could never really move this place off of the kids' table. They had major investment periods where they hired 
hood ornament type editors and, you know, never quite got A-list journalistic talent, but tried, 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 and proved one of the wonderful things about our profession, which is that money can't buy everything. People just didn't want to work there. And part of it is because the culture of the place really, the culture of its startup roots never necessarily uh, left. There's a great New Yorker story by Ken Aletta about Blodgett and about that era of BI with, I think they had, you know, traffic boards. People wrote four or five stories a day. It was a a, a meat grinder and a hamster wheel. And yeah. I think a lot of the union issues they have here are about just worker equity, which is really valid. I think that they they had to mm-hmm. um, agree on a minimum wage of $65,000, which gives you the impression that there were many, many people who were working long days that weren't making that. And I think that they worked hard for it. Nick made a couple of boneheaded moves here. Uh, he lives in Windsor Terrace, I believe, and he was uh, photographed on a city bike taking down union posters in his neighborhood. Now, obviously, it sounds like people were, you know, probably ganging up outside of his house and bringing his family into it. I think he has two kids. That's not cool and totally unacceptable. I, I think that that's never a good look, but and he may have lost his nerve. And anyway, here they are. And the drift thing is true and good for him for being upfront about it. B.I. wanted to be this really serious, news-breaking, everywhere-all-at-once organization, soft features, cover stories starring celebrities. It wanted to be serious. So it wanted to get to the big boy table, and and they hired a lot of trade journalists mm. to to try and uh, create a subscription business. And I just think it didn't work. They, they got rid of the whole subs plan a number of months ago. Now they're pivoting to a sort of AI-based paywall, which basically is sort of a fancy contribution model. People who, who go there a lot are going to be fed articles and, and asked to, to pay and maybe sort of hoodwinked into paying. But they have more money than God. They rely on traffic. And as a result... I think they're going to be captive to be the company that they always were. Put it this way, they're not going to be the next Wall Street Journal, but they might be, and I mean this credibly, they might be the next Yahoo. And that would be really, really mm-hmm. value, a very, very valuable outcome for them. I think that BI is a New York Times alternative for people who are not going to pay for news. Um, it's going to offer uh, headlines for a younger audience. It's going to offer clicky business stories and culture and tech stories for a sort of social-friendly audience. But it's a good business and under Axel rule, they've continued to keep it profitable and they've instilled real discipline. And that occasionally butts heads with the this sort of more quixotic notion of journalism mm-hmm. that we see. And, you know, I think Nick and Henry have always been very clear about how this is a business. They're, they, they'd like to be nominated for a Pulitzer, but they certainly don't seem to care <laughs> if they are. And it's a, it's a numbers game. So yeah. uh, I feel like every, everyone showed their true colors here. Yeah, I like the Yahoo comparison more than the Wall Street Journal. I mean, one Wall Street Journal reporter <laughs> Actually, let me pull up her tweet yesterday because I kind of enjoyed it. Uh, one Wall Street Journal re- reporter retweeted this news yesterday and said, but what if the Wall Street Journal already is the next gen Wall Street Journal? And look, I mean, I just went to both the Wall Street Journal's homepage and Insider's homepage. Obviously, people don't go to homepages that much anymore, but it does reveal your editorial sensibilities. The Wall Street Journal's top four stories. Global economy looks out of sync. The fear behind China's pivot <laughs> on stimulus spending. Disney CFO clashed with executives before exiting. Pittsburgh synagogue shooter found guilty of killing 11 people. All very Wall Street Journal headlines and stories. Insiders front page. A white supremacist took MDMA for a study and it snapped him out of his beliefs. Why am I doing this? Reddit CEO says mods are too powerful and plans to weaken after blackout. South Carolina TikToker saves on rent by flying to work in New Jersey. 10 cities where Americans are overpaying for houses. And then like if you go into like the Google search for insider. 
YouTuber star says divorce should be illegal. Snoop Dogg says he doesn't look at Martha Stewart's thirst traps. I mean, you can say one thing, but the product is another, and it just doesn't feel like <laughs> yeah. like the Wall Street Journal at this point. I mean, but we'll see where where this pivot goes. Also, the big the other big difference too, by the way, like the New York Times compares this app too. Like Insider is pretty much politically like openly left and they're not going to be an establishment newsroom if they're occupying that political space. Yeah. Let me offer one, one last thought about them, which is that I know that part of the negotiation, uh, the collective bargaining arrangement was was over minimum pay scale, but Insider always paid. And, and I, I want to give great mm. credit to the Axel portfolio, Politico and, and Insider in particular. They pay talent, I think, more fairly and equitably than the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. And to our listeners mm. who are only media adjacent out there, you would be astounded by what yeah. some of the most powerful uh, journalistic voices in America put up with. And that is one of the, you know, that's certainly one of the things that we're trying to do here at Puck is make sure that our industry uh, recognizes the value that is, uh, that's created by influential and important journalists and gives them the opportunity to make what they deserve. So Nick and Henry and, and those guys have always supported that and, and been clear-eyed about it. And it's actually one of, one of those sort of unfair ironies about the walkout that they suffered through this week and and all the, the bad press they got. Because mm. um, from Joe Wiesenthal to a, a zillion other people in um, who've come through there, they took care of their people and they deserve credit for it. I love to hear that. You know, and like, this is one reason I like Media Monday, John. There's always just like 10% disagreement on all of our topics. You management, me <laughs> reporter. <laughs> anyway, buddy, I'll see you in the Slack this week. Thanks a lot. All right, see you, buddy. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.